All right, we're going to read our text this morning, and our text is found in Jonah chapter 3, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. So please stand with me for the reading of God's word. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them. So he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish, since I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. But the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God designated a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. But God designated a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and withered. And when the sun came up, God designated a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint, and he begged with all his soul to, stop, to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion, also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? This is God's word. You may be seated. Lord God, we lift up this opportunity to get into your word. We thank you for Pastor Kyle. We pray your Holy Spirit would speak um, to him and through him this morning, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> this is one disgrunt disgruntled postal worker, isn't it? <laughs> he is not a happy camper. I want to pray before I begin, if you would join me. There's some needs in our church that I want to pray for. Some friends and family just not doing well physically with their health. So would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to pray this morning and ask you for your mercy. That so many times the sick um, were delivered to the feet of Christ so that they might be forgiven. And we know that the forgiveness of the body was a sort of introduction to a uh, excuse me, that the healing of the body was a sort of introduction to a greater need, and that is the healing of the soul. So God, we don't just ask for healthy bodies, we ask for healthy souls. That these would be saved if they do not know you already. God, would you bless uh, Robin's brother who's sick? Um, it's not looking good for him. Would you heal him? Would you be good to him and let your kindness lead him also to repentance so that his soul might be healed too? God, would you um, bless um, 
my father-in-law's sister-in-law, Deb, uh, would you continue to be with her and bless her and heal her in her time of sickness? And would she come to know you by faith that you are a good God and that you love her to the point of death, even death on a cross? And God, I want to ask you also that you would bless um, Tom Maitland's brother, who was also ill, um, who was recently diagnosed with a brain tumor. God, would um, you help him know you too? Heal his heart so that if he does pass from this life to the next, he'll enter into eternal joy so that he would know Christ. And God, um, bless our dear brother Jeff sitting right here in the front row. Pray, Lord, that you would heal him as well. Thank you for his life. Thank you that you love him. Thank you that nothing that has happened in his life is an accident and that you have led him this far and will continue to. God, we love you and ask you for a special blessing this morning. There are many people here this morning that no doubt have various circumstances in their life. And I want to pray, oh, and um, for Ashley, um, who is giving birth soon, right, tomorrow. Um, I pray, Lord, or, or around tomorrow, I'm not sure if it's uh, scheduled, but would you just keep her safe um, and um, help her to have a nice, healthy baby. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Grace is for average sinners, right? Not deviants. No, that's not true. But this is no doubt the, the attitude that Jonah was um, having at this point. You don't expect a prophet of God, um, an evangelist of sorts, to bemoan the fact that people actually listened to you, right? That people actually repented of their sin, trusted in the Lord for their salvation and turned and he gave mercy. You just expect a prophet or an evangelist, a pastor. That, that's, what, that's why we're here, right? Okay. Like, I mean, that's what we're doing here. We want this reaction from people. But Jonah, it seems sort of shocking that after you've read the, through the whole book, we're at the end of the book now, and suddenly it just ends sort of with a question. Should I not have compassion on 120,000 people? And then, story's done. We don't know Jonah's reaction. We don't know how he responds to God. We just know that he was ticked off to the point of death, angry at God. God asks him, asks him a question and leaves the answer kind of open-ended. And um, my understanding of this, based on everything that I've read um, from one scholar to the next, is that it's on purpose, the reason that the question isn't answered. And the reason the question isn't answered on purpose is because the question really is for us. What will we do? about those that we have locked up behind bars, have not forgiven, and do not want them to be forgiven. You see, it's, oh, that's, that's people like Jonah. That's not like me. I wouldn't do that. Oh? My guess is that the Ninevites did a lot worse things to Jonah than anyone has ever done to you. Now, that's a guess, because I know that there are some people in this room that perhaps have had heinous things happen to them maybe worse than him. But in my experience and in my life, and for most of the people that I know, our injuries, not to demean them, are great. But have any of our relatives been skinned alive? Have any of our relatives had their nose, hands, and feet cut off and thrown to dogs? You see, that was the evil crimes of the Ninevites who showed no mercy to the Israelites so often. So before we were a little too hard on Jonah, let's just sort of remember ourselves remember his experience. Grace is not for average sinners. 
they're for deviants and everyone in between. It's not how Jonah felt, though, and I think it's not how often we feel, right? God responds to Jonah with a question, should I not have compassion? It's a good question. He repeats it. Did you hear it? Repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And Jonah's response repeatedly was, God, could you just kill me, please? I don't even want to answer the question because I know the answer to the question. You should, but I don't like that answer. Consider perhaps with me this morning some people that you have put behind bars and thrown away the key. Should we not have compassion? Friends, there are thousands of people all around us every day. Should we not have compassion? Our neighbors, our friends, our family, from the worst to the best, should we not have compassion? Shouldn't we share our clothes and our finances, our money, our love, our time with them and not hoard them all to ourselves? Should we not have compassion? So this morning I want to examine two things, Jonah's displeasure and God's response. Really easy peasy, right? Okay. Jonah's displeasure, God's response. Jonah chapter 3 ends like this. Mark read it, but let me read it again. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them. So he did not do it. God relented. He did not do it. And wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be something if the book just sort of ended here? We sort of expect it to. But this book is just as much about Jonah as it is about the Ninevites. So it's not done. It seems to me that Jonah is a kind of older son. Remember this story in the story of the prodigal son? And Jonah, Jonah seems to me to be a type of older son. As a matter of fact, the, the whole book, the whole story of Jonah seems to resemble a little bit the, the parable of the prodigal son. The same way the parable ends without the older brother giving a response to his father. Remember, the, he was mad because the, the, the younger son was forgiven and accepted back in. The older son was mad and the father's pleading with him. He was lost and found. This is a good thing. Let's rejoice. Story closed. End. Just like Jonah. Doesn't, we don't see the older son's reaction. And like I said, in, in the parable of the prodigal son, the younger prodigal demands his inheritance. Some of you, this, this parable might be new to you, but Jesus tells this story of two sons. The younger son is kind of like loose living, wild, rebellious. The older son is sort of like religious, obedience, good. Right? He sticks around at home. He does what the father says. The, the younger son takes off, spends all his dad's money. Who in your family is who? You might be an older son. You might be a younger son. Some of you might feel like it depends on what year you're talking about. <laughs> I've been both, right? <clears throat> but in this parable, we see this happened. The younger son is found poor. Eventually, he spends all the money that the father gives him. Um, on his loose living, his partying, he ends up feeding pigs so that he could eat food, and he comes to his senses and returns home, goes through repentance, just like the Ninevites. And, just like the Ninevites, is forgiven by the Father he's received back in. Friends, there is an older son who had a Jonah-tood, right? <laughs> We all can have this sort of Jonah-tude when someone that we think deserves to get it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And they get forgiven. We deserve goodness. We deserve to be treated well. 
Because aren't we, after all, innocent, righteous, good? My son's waving at me. I'm good. He's not. I deserve praise. He deserves death. What's going on? What is this? Topsy-turvy, right? This is like bizarro Superman. This shouldn't be happening. So Jonah, like the older son, expresses his displeasure in God. And we can see him express his displeasure in God in three ways. So remember that we're on Jonah's reaction to God here. The first thing that we see come out of Jonah and this unexpected turn of events where people who should have gotten smushed under God's thumb actually get a rose. Right? What does Jonah do? He becomes angry. That's the first reaction. It says in verse 1, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He was as mad as a Portuguese hornet that just got flicked. Right? Bing! He is mad. And who does he want to sting? He wants to sting God. How often have we been displeased and angry with God for forgiving someone who we ought, we, we should want him to do, but he forgives someone we thought was just too awful a person? Maybe there's a person in your life, a group of people in your life, in my life, that we just wish ill on. Oh, maybe we don't want them to die under fire and brimstone, but maybe we want them to lose their job, right? Just a little something, a little loss, just so I can kind of, eh, right? As with Jonah, we see in ourselves a clear conscience. What What the Bible does here is it says, okay, in this corner, God, and in this corner, Jonah. What do they both look like? How are they behaving? What are their reactions? We see a contrast, a clear contrast between God and Jonah. The text compares them intentionally. Now notice in the text, first, God has compassion and Jonah has displeasure. Right? Jonah, about him, we we see that he complains. Was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? This is why I took off to Spain, because I knew you'd do this. So Jonah is unhappy. He's angry. But, but now let's look, take a look at God. How is God described? Jonah is complaining, and he is not pleased. But God, on the other hand, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents from disaster. What's really ironic about this is that Jonah is the one quoting this Bible verse about God. Did you notice that? So this is the word of God. He's quoting Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. It's an old ancient formula about who God is. It's very popular all throughout the scripture. We see this sort of creed being recited over and over again in the Psalms and the Prophets and all over the place in the, in the books of the law. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in mercy. You know what the, the phrase abundant in mercy means? It's a Hebrew phrase. It's, it goes like this, Rav Hesed. Hesed in Hebrew is a word for God's covenantal love. Now, if your heads aren't blown... Get ready, because there's about to be head guts all over the place. Hesed is God's covenantal love. God made a covenant with Israel to save them. His promises 
in the Israelite mind for Israel. But Jonah and God is speaking this unto Nineveh, a Gentile nation. Israel never would have thought about God's hesed in the context of a Gentile nation. They always would have thought about it with respect to Israel. What on earth is going on here? Bad theology is what's going on here. God's hesed, God's covenantal love, is not, was not ever just for Israel. It was always very clear ever since the promise was made to Abraham, I will bless you and bless those who bless you, and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's God's covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis chapters 12 and chapter 14 and 15. That's God's hesed. That's God's covenantal love, not made with just one nation, but through the nation Israel to all nations. So, so, so Jonah is getting his theology corrected, right? Bad theology has bad consequences. Isn't that true? We see it in our world all the time. But God, so Jonah is complaining and is displeased, but God is faithful to his covenant of love. You see this contrast? It says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Why do you lack compassion, Jonah? That covenant was just as much for them as it is for you. I, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? God turns from anger. This is the second thing we see. God relents. He turns away from his anger. And Jonah retreats into anger. He just sort of lives with his anger like it's a nice, comfortable teddy bear. Have you done that with your anger? You're just so mad you could spit. And you know that it's not socially acceptable. So you just sit in your room maybe by yourself rehearsing your teddy bear anger. And it gives you comfort to be mad. Isn't that true? But God turns from anger while Jonah retreats into anger. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Oh, friends, that we wouldn't be angry when sinners repent. That we, that, that we wouldn't be exceedingly glad when they don't repent. Oh, how we should want them to come and find the grace and love and forgiveness of our Savior, no matter who they are or where they've been. And friend, might I just suggest to you just for a moment, no matter who you are and no matter where you've been, there is forgiveness for you in the cross of Jesus Christ. But it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry, but God relented of the disaster because he is slow to anger and who relents of disaster. Have I told you that Hebrew idiom for God is slow to anger? I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I got one new person, so I'm going to say it again. Right? It means he's got a long nose. That's the Hebrew language. If you translate it literally, God is a long nose. You want to know why? What happens to your face when you get mad? It's red, burning red, right? You're just mad. It burns up red. So, so your nose gets red, too. But if you've got a long nose, it takes a little while for that blood to get to the tip, doesn't it? Right? That's what it means. You laugh. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. It's true. It means God's got a long nose. It means he's slow to anger and abounds in loving kindness. Jonah couldn't rejoice at something that God rejoices at. And isn't that our malady? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 11 about the faithless generation. You remember this passage? 
we played the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. You know what this means? You know what? Let me interpret this verse for you with a modern-day application. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. You're not supposed to cry at parties. You're supposed to laugh, and you're supposed to dance. Isn't that true? But Jesus said, this faithless, wicked generation, we played the pipe, but you didn't dance. You're crying. And we sang a dirge, that's a funeral song, and you did not mourn. You see what's happening here, friends? We should, when the dirge is when people who are without Christ left in their sin are dying, and we're laughing, we have the opposite reaction, right? We rejoice at what should make us weep, and we weep at what should make us rejoice. And Jonah is weeping at something that should make him rejoice. Friend, do you think that God is any less hurt than you? over the grisly sins that have been committed against you over your life? Don't you realize that that is what put him on a cross? Don't you realize that all sin is first against God before it's against us? Because he made us in his image, in his, in his image to love him and to follow him and to cherish him. So when someone sins against me, it's not against me, it's against him. He is just as hurt and broken as you are. Does he not, because of this, have greater reason? Imagine if all of the sins of the world, all of the grisly atrocities that we see around us, were all put on you at the same time. Wouldn't you have reason to be angry? Ah, that question. Do you have reason to be angry? God is telling Jonah, Jonah, I'm the one that has reason to be angry. And that is why I am the one that reserves the right to forgive if I so choose. You see, the God who gave us everything, we hung up on a tree. It was him there, not me. Yet Jonah is furious with God. Friends, I want to ask you just very hard and very, but a very hard question, but be very brutally honest with yourself. You've got to dig down deep. Are you mad at God about something? Or would you give it to him? Would you tell him? You see, the next thing Jonah does is he prays. Remember the first time God said to go to, jo go to Nineveh? What did Jonah do? He got in a boat. Right? At least this time he's praying. At least, he's making a little bit, it's inch progress, but he's making a little bit of progress, right? At least now he's, when he's mad, he's telling God about it, right? So the second reaction we see that Jonah has is prayer. He just outright tells God in, in verse 2, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, Spain, for I knew that you're a gracious God. Isn't it true that we only want God to be gracious when it suits us. Think about it. You see, we don't want him to be gracious when it doesn't suit us. We usually want him to be gracious when it concerns us, but not when it concerns someone that hurt us. That's when we want his sweet justice. Oh, do you smell it? Isn't it great? But when we come to him, we want forgiveness. Jonah makes it clear that he did not want the Ninevites to be kept from this disaster. 
Now, we, we might assume, I think personally, that Jonah was going a little back and forth. I think that when he got spit up by the fish, that his heart warmed, that he did want their salvation and did desire their repentance. So what's going on with Jonah? Why is he flip-flopping? Well, why do you? <laughs> Isn't this just true? One day we're good with God, we want what he wants, and the next day we're angry in the corner again. Oh, like a, like a <laughs> returning to our vomit. So often that once turned our stomachs, we go back to it. Friends, Jonah was an object of compassion, yet here he has no ability to be compassionate. He's like that unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. Remember this? Let's hear this with me. I'm going to read for a second. So sometimes when you read, you can check out. So heads up, eyes open. Okay, Matthew chapter 18. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. This is a king. He was this, so the servant is not able to pay, and the servant fell on his knees before him. He says, be patient with me, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Just forgave it outright. You don't owe me anything. Go home. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, way less than what he owed, right? And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Same words that he said. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Oh, there's that question again. Should I not have mercy? Rather than showing mercy, Jonah's like this unfaithful servant. Jonah uses prayer not to build faith in God, but to accuse God of sin. The thought of God forgiving the Ninevites created so much despair in Jonah that he prays to God to take his own life. If you won't kill them, kill me. Right? Now perhaps Jonah was deeply hurt by them as we suggested before. Maybe he was just a racist. I don't know. Whatever the case, when we can't forgive, it doesn't kill them. It kills us. Right? just mm -hmm. the nature of it mm -hmm. you can resist it you can disagree with me but go ahead try it try living in unforgiveness you will fall apart it was killing Jonah kill me kill me kill me that unforgiving heart was killing him his prayer to God essentially was Lord isn't grace for average sinners like me <laughs> we always think we're the average ones right lastly Jonah expresses his displeasure with God in action. So he's mad, he prays, and then he does something about it. Right? What does he do? He goes out of the city, and he sits to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Maybe God, uh, Jonah's little speech changed God's mind. Right? So he leaves. Okay, God, I've made a good case Maybe you'll see it my way. 
and he just kind of, he's waiting. Notice, notice something here. Okay. If your mind wasn't blown before, it's going to be now. I hope. Okay. Jonah leaves the city and settles in the east. Ooh, big deal. He settles in the east, but it is a big deal. Which direction did Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden? The east. The entrance to the Garden of Eden was the east. Right? On what side of the Israelite temple was the entrance? The east. You enter into the temple by going west. Right? Through the east gate. You enter into the Garden of Eden by going west into the east entrance. So, okay, big deal. So, what's the Garden of Eden? What is the temple? Now, this is the kicker. The temple and the God, Garden of Eden is a symbol of the present benevolent grace and love of God. Now, that's fantastic, right? So, you want to meet with God? You go into the temple. You want to meet with God? You go through, through that east gate into the garden. You want to know God? You want to know his love? And you want to know his favor and his gifts? You've got to be inside the temple. Mm -hmm. So you know what's being said here? Nineveh, all of a sudden, a wicked city is being compared to the temple. It's being compared to the Garden of Eden, where God is. How on earth is God with these people who committed these atrocities that now for me to be blessed, I have to go into the city. I got to be in there with them. You see, friends, there is no such thing as a saint in heaven. Only sinners are in heaven, forgiven by Jesus Christ. So if you don't like the fact that there are sinners in heaven, you might not end up there. Because if you think that you're okay, if we think that we're the good ones, and that somehow God gave us his grace because we're not quite as creepy as the rest of the world, then we are mistaken. Oh, the irony. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? So God responds to Jonah. Even after all this, Jonah still says, you know what, kill them or kill me. And God responds. God asks Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? He asked this a few times. If the answer to that question is yes, if, in other words, if Jonah was justified in his anger, Jonah would have to admit that God's nature is dysfunctional. So in other words, this is not about Nineveh being forgiven. This is about a problem with who God is and what he's like. If God is slow to anger, he quotes Exodus, right? Abounding in loving kindness and relents from disaster, then God is the problem. You see, if Jonah has good reason to be angry, it's not because sinners were forgiven, it's because of who God is. You know that the literal translation of verse 1 in chapter 4, it says, it was evil to Jonah. In other words, what God had done was evil to Jonah. We read that it displeased Jonah. It's a little, little harsher than that. It, it didn't just displease him, it was evil to him that the Ninevites would be forgiven, what God had done. Jonah's, Jonah's essential problem then, yes, was with the Ninevites, but it was more about with who God was in that moment. So God gives Jonah a visual aid to demonstrate to him why mercy is so important. 
he causes a plant to grow over Jonah to provide him shade in the hot sun. You know that the average median temperature of where Jonah is right now is 110 degrees. This is not a cool place. He's hot. And he starts getting hot. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a plant to cool you down. To, quote, deliver him from his discomfort. And the, and the text says, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Do you see that, the irony here? He's miserable about Nineveh, but is extremely happy about the plant. This is the first time that Jonah has any happiness in this whole book. And it's about a plant. The next day, when the sun was beating down on him, he begged with all his soul to die. Because the, God had, had brought that worm to eat the plant, right? He begged with all his soul to die. He was grieving for the loss of a plant now. And he asked, God asked Jonah again, do you have good reason to be angry that the plant has died? Friends, if he grieves the loss of the plant, this is the message. If you can grieve the loss of a plant, something far lesser in value, mm-hmm. then why can't you grieve the loss of 100,000 men, women, and children? You see? Mm-hmm. Created in the image of God. My people that I made. So we got some lessons to learn. Let's, we're going we're gonna to close now, okay? we gotta, we got to take some things home with us. So let's take some things home with us, okay? We can learn a few things about God and his grace. Number one, God is gracious to us too. Not just them. So the Lord God designated a plant. Did you see that? He designated a plant. But God designated a worm, and God designated a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah. There's a lot of God designating things. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? That word is repeated over and over again. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, the word is used, God designated a fish. Mm -hmm. God is working in our lives as Christians. Why is God doing all this? To make us more and more like him, so that we can see the way to life. So that our will and our understanding can be crucified and replaced with his. So God appoints a fish, a plant, a worm, and a wind. All of it is because he loves Jonah. And because, just because he's getting it wrong doesn't mean that God has given up on him. Right? This all points to the fact that God's people remain imperfect. And what follows in our lives is not a cosmic accident. Right? So in other words, we're imperfect, and the trouble that we get into because of our imperfections isn't a cosmic accident. It's God sending us signals. Go this way. Go this way. Right? We should have compassion because we are the objects of his compassion every day. So that's the first takeaway. The second one is this. There is never an adequate reason to be angry at God when he forgives anyone. Isn't that just kind of, right? That's, that's the message here. Mm-hmm. There is never a good reason to be mad at God when he forgives anyone. It's clearly implied with the question, should you be angry, Jonah? The implied answer is no, you should not be, right? The same, and why? Because the same mercy that saved him saved them. If, they would, if, if God was not merciful, then Jonah was fresh out of luck too. Isn't that true? Jonah was grieved at the death of a plant. Should we not grieve when sinners remain lost? So that's the second takeaway. Number three, 
We shouldn't seek the salvation of those that we love only. Okay? We shouldn't just want people to come to know the life of Jesus and the forgiveness that he provides for those that we love only. We should want that for people that we don't love too. People that bother us. People that we think don't deserve it. Isn't it easy for us to grieve for those who we love? But who will grieve for Nineveh? Who will grieve for our enemies? People that have hurt us that we don't pray for anymore. Who will grieve for them? You see, the message of Jonah is that if we won't, God will. Mm -hmm. God grieves for that person who's easy to hate to, for our enemy. Because fourthly, this is the fourth takeaway, God reserves the right to forgive whomever he wants. Mm -hmm. Right? God will grieve for the Ninevite. God will grieve for the unlovely. God will, will grieve for the prisoner, for the drug addict, for the person that stole from you, from the abuser. God will grieve for them because they have been abused by their own sin. God will grieve for them. And why? Because he created them. God questions Jonah's grief. He's, Jonah's crying over this plant that died, and, and God says, you didn't work for that plant. You didn't cause that plant to grow. Mm -hmm. Why are you weeping over the plant? I should be. So he says in verse 11, should I not have compassion? The text says Jonah was exceedingly happy about the plant. And I just mentioned this a moment ago. He wasn't exceedingly happy when he prayed in the fish. Didn't say that about him, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't exceedingly happy when he, when he was wiping off the fish guts on the shore. Right? We'd, we'd expect that phrase to be there. But no, a plant dies. Or, or, or a, a plant is given him to give him shade, and he's exceedingly happy. You see, again, the point being, it's easy for, to, to grieve for the things that provide something for us. Mm -hmm. Right? But who will grieve for that which doesn't? God says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? I created them. They are my child. I've worked for them and caused them to grow. Right? Their birth, they, they were fashioned in their mother's womb by me. Should I not love them just as much as I love Israel? Right? So is grace for average sinners and not deviants? Should the Lord not have compassion? Dr. Smith says this, God will and does act in justice against sin. He does. But his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. Isn't that a good word? Oh, to experience the grace of God. Oh, that we have experienced the grace of God, yet not be willing to tell others of that same grace. Oh, that we would long for and pray for the rescue of lost people. I chose Jonah to preach at the start of the new year because it was my conviction that we need to begin to really love lost people, people remaining in their sin. We are not just here to eat each other's yummy food once a month when COVID's done. Mm -hmm. I, we're going to do that again. So 
Calm down. Okay? I love that, but that's not why God put, God made us fishers of men. In whatever way he makes us fish for men, we all do it differently, but he made us fishers of men to pray for people in their lost condition, our kids, our family, our neighbors, the ones we love and the ones that we don't. Oh, friends, would we love the lost like this? I want to close by reading to you a somewhat lengthy passage from a book called In the Grip of Grace by Max Lucado. For those of us who think perhaps there are sins too great or numerous to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've thought that about yourself. He says this in The Grip of Grace. You know what disturbs me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? What disturbs me most are not his acts, though they are disgusting. Dahmer was convicted of 17 murders. 11 corpses were found in his apartment. He cut off arms. He ate body parts. My thesaurus has 204 synonyms for vile, but each falls short of describing a man who kept skulls in his refrigerator and hoarded a human heart. He redefined the boundary of brutality. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. The Milwaukee monster dangled from the lowest rung of human conduct and then dropped. But that's not what troubles me most about him. Can I tell you what does? Not his trial, as disturbing as it was with all those pictures of him sitting serenely in court, face frozen, motionless, no sign of remorse, no hint of regret. Do you remember his steely eyes, his impassive face. But I don't speak of him because of his trial. There's another reason. Can I tell you what really troubles me about him? Not his punishment, though life without parole is hardly in exchange for his actions. How many years would satisfy justice? A lifetime in jail for every life he took? But that's another matter, and that's not what troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer. May, may I tell you what does? His conversion. Months before an inmate murdered him, Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian, said he repented, said he was sorry for what he did, profoundly sorry, said he put his faith in Jesus Christ, was baptized, started life over, began reading the Bible, Christian books, attending chapel, sins washed, soul cleaned, past forgiven. See, friends, if something, if our world doesn't like something about Christianity, it is this. Heaven's for good people. Right? Sure. <laughs> he says, that troubles me. It shouldn't, but it does. Grace for a cannibal? Maybe you have the same reservations, if not about Dahmer, perhaps about someone else. Have you ever wrestled with the deathbed conversion of a rapist or the 11th hour conversion of a child molester? We've sentenced them, maybe not in court, but in our hearts. We've put them behind bars and we have locked the door. They are forever imprisoned by our disgust. And then the impossible happens. They repent. Our response, dare we say it, we cross our arms, we furrow our brows, and we say, God won't let you off that easy. Not after what you did. 
God's kind, but he's no wimp. Grace is for average sinners like me, not deviants like you. So what is it? Grace for all? Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Repent. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. But whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the beautiful message of the gospel that saves sinners like us. Mm -hmm. The beautiful message of Christ hanging on a tree and rising again in our place. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, grace is an, an incredibly troubling concept. <clears throat> but your word says, whosoever will may come. Oh, that we would come. Friend, if you feel this morning too unworthy, too sinful, too far gone, can I please invite you to consider Christ? If you are too far gone, we're all too far gone. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of, free, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And whoever confesses him as Lord will have it. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, the grace that you give us, Lord. Friend, if you don't know Christ yet this morning, would you come to him by faith? Would you recognize that what you're looking for, the forgiveness and freedom and life and satisfaction and purpose is all bound up in faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He died for your sin in your place, rose again so that you would too. Come to him, cry out, pray with me, God save me. I am a sinner like this. I've been far from you. I've rejected you, I've put you, I've left you to the, to the cross. You're the reason. I'm the reason you're there. And I've ignored it. I've thought it insignificant and haven't believed it. But I do now. And I trust that you'll save me. Friend, if that's you, I want to invite you to consider that you have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you died at this moment, you would be with him forever in heaven. That's the grace of God. God, we thank you for this. And God, help us as your people to not reserve others as too far off, too far gone, too great a sinner. Help us to remember that your gracious arms have no limit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.